Hello, and welcome to Co-OpCast, your one-stop for cooperative game news and reviews. On this week's design discussion, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will discuss a board game and have a related design discussion. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, hey, everybody. We are coming at you with a double review today. Double, double time. Double time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk about The Reckoners based on the Brandon Sanderson book series. And we're also going to talk about a somewhat similar game, also a dice-based game, Thanos Rising, the Avengers Infinity War dice game. And then at the end, we're going to have a Steel Cage Royal Rumble match, Thanos Rising versus The Reckoners, Highlander style. This is some, not not even Highlander, man. Two men enter, one man leave, enter the Thunderdome, Reckoners versus Thanos Rising, best superhero-themed, because there are superheroes in the Reckoners, as we'll discuss, best superhero-themed dice game, bam, let's do it. At, at the end of the episode, of course. <laughs> not right now. Right, so without further ado, let's get into Thanos Rising, and I will cover the theme really quickly. So Thanos Rising, it's actually called, the full name is Thanos Rising Avengers Affinity War. It's by Andrew Wolf and published by USAopoly. It's based on Infinity Wars. Now, if you haven't been paying attention, one of the most popular movies over this summer was the Avengers Infinity Wars, and this is based on that. So if you don't know anything about it, you don't want to hear any spoilers, skip ahead 30 seconds. But basically, the theme of the movie is Thanos is trying to go gather these Infinity Stones and destroy the world, basically. So that is the theme of the game as well, and you are the superheroes trying to stop Thanos from doing that. By the way, I think there's only one Infinity War. You said Infinity Wars, which sounds like an even more intense movie than the actual movie. Well, that is correct. I think there's going to be a second Infinity War movie, but you're correct. There's only one Infinity War, probably. (laughs) All right, and I'm going to talk about the rules briefly. In Thanos Rising, you start with a pool of four dice, and you add more later. And what you do to start your turn is you pick one of three sectors, each of which has three cards in front of it. Then you roll two dice for Thanos, this big miniature representing him in the middle of the board, and he might rotate, he might damage a bunch of people, he might activate other villains, and he'll always add at least one token to Infinity Stones, working his way towards controlling them and gaining extra powers. Once you've resolved him and maybe taken some damage, you roll your dice, and you need to put at least one die on a single card facing you in that sector. You can put more if they match the icons on those cards. So they'll have little blast icons or planet icons or whatever, and you need to put at least one die matching that icon or discard one die from your pool. Then you roll all your remaining dice, and you keep on putting dice on cards, trying to get all the icons shown on one or more cards. If you get all the icons on a hero, you recruit that hero. They become part of your team, you heal them fully, and they either give you more dice or dice manipulation or healing powers. If you place all the icons on a villain, you deal one damage to them, and you get a little reward token that gives you a special ability you can use later in the game once. And that's basically it. You might build your hero team, you might defeat some villains. If you can defeat seven villains before Thanos either kills too many heroes or takes over all of the Infinity Stones, you win the game. Thanks for the rule summary. Now we're going to get into our top fives. So if you haven't joined us before, welcome and thanks for joining us. 
what we do is we break down each game and talk about our top five things to know about the game. And we start with number five, which we think is the least important or the thing that comes up least often. And we go to our number one, which is the thing we feel is most important about the game. So, Mike, why don't you start with your number five? So my number five is a con, and that's the general feeling of fiddliness and having to manipulate too many annoying health tokens in the game. So to explain, your hero team starts pretty small, but very quickly can grow until in the late game you might have eight or nine heroes or even ten heroes in front of you. And every time that Thanos attacks you, you have to put at least one, if not more, because of other villains, of these health tokens on every one of your heroes. It takes a long time, and it's really annoying. And on top of that, just having so many cards in front of you, while it seems like it might be fun to have lots of options to do with your turn, it actually slows down the turns and increases the downtime of the game. And especially in a three- or four-player game, downtime is already a problem. So between the fiddliness of messing with tokens and the sometimes long downtime of turns, a little bit of a con for the game to start us off. Yeah, and my number five is a con too. I didn't get into the fiddliness. For me, this didn't bother me too much because it's always pretty simple. Yes, you might have to do a lot of tokens, but I've never gotten to the situation where it really bothered me. I guess because there's not a lot to think about, it's still straightforward, even though it might be a lot to do. It's not like I have to stack modifiers on top of modifiers a lot of the time. I mean, you're right, but again, like in a three-player game, if I'm watching you put 16 health tokens on eight heroes because of like a really bad result for two minutes of game time, that's that's just death for the fun of a game, you know? Well, and that does pump right into my number five then, which is long downtime. And I know you mentioned this as part of yours as well. Part of the problem with Thanos Rising for me is that there is nothing to do when it is not your turn. Except you get these little bonus tokens every time you damage an enemy. You might be able to play them on someone else's turn, but it's not really something you're going to pay much attention to until after they're done doing all the stuff, as you said. So there's not really a lot of times where you're going to use those tokens, and it's not like you have a million of the tokens either. You might have two or three of them. So even in a two-player game, I found the downtime to be very boring because you're really not doing anything, and it's not that interesting to watch the person whose turn it is. I guess the only caveat to that would be you can discuss with other person, oh, wait a minute, you did roll that symbol. Maybe present them with other options that they didn't catch, but really that's just multiplayer solitaire at that point. So for me, there wasn't a lot to do when it wasn't your turn. Yeah, and my number four comes straight from what you were just saying with your number five, and that is the reward tokens, which for me were a pro, but really a pro because they present the only real opportunity for cooperation in this theoretically cooperative game. And I do like them. I like that I can have the chance to care about somebody else's turn. I can wait and see if they need the extra planet or the healing that my tokens offer. I like that you're not only being rewarded when you recruit heroes, but you're also getting a little reward, this one-time reward token, for hurting the villains. A lot of games will have you kind of not accomplishing anything for your own growth when you attack the enemies. It's only when you build yourself up that you get a bonus. So I do like that you get something for hurting the villains. So it's, it's not a huge pro, but definitely something worth mentioning. There is a little bit of cooperation with those reward tokens, just like you said. Yeah, absolutely. And that wasn't on my list per se, but I do agree with you. The the tokens are nice. And even when you recruit some heroes, they'll give you opportunities to get more tokens. So it encourages you to go after the villains. My number four is that there is nice variety on the dice themselves. Some of these games, the dice are very, very similar. 
in this game, if you have a blue dice, which gives you, I don't even remember which symbol, maybe it's the... It's like the little netty box symbol for the blue dice. Yeah, so if it gives you a box symbol, then you know half of the sides on it are going to give you a box, and there's going to be one side on it that gives you two boxes. So each dice is kind of custom-tuned to the heroes that it belongs to. So you have better and worse odds of getting certain symbols based on certain dice. So if you get the same result on two dice, it gives you a little bit more of an option of which dice to reroll and which ones to keep and put on the enemy or hero card. So I did like how the dice have some nice variety to them. Yeah, man, you're you're playing the hits because that is my number three almost exactly. What I'll add is that I really love this because it does give the game some tactical choice. You can see what kind of icons are needed by the cards in the three sectors. And if you're planning strategically, you can say, oh man, I have a much better choice of getting two different cards in that sector because of the dice in my pool. Also, a few of the heroes let you choose, like you can either gain a blue or a red die, and you choose differently each turn. So that's another nice thing, that you can, again, make some tactical choice, because this is a dice-based game, clearly a lot of it's going to be random, but I at least felt like I had some control of my destiny through the the dice being so predictable. So yeah, I agree with you 100%, that's my number three, a big pro. Although I will add a con to what you just said there, when you have a choice of the dice... I think that's part of what you were talking about earlier with the game being fiddly or long downtime. When you're choosing between two different dice, now you have to see which symbols are on each of those dice specifically. Then you got to look at the heroes in the different sectors. So I think some of that planning does lead to some of the downtime as well. Yeah, and, and that does lead into a criticism I have of the game with the dice and kind of the iconography in general. And this is going to come back when we talk about the Reckoners because they did a better job of it. But the results are not color-coded, Like, I wish that the nets were blue on all the cards so that at a glance I could see what kind of dice I need for the different cards. Because even though I do know which dice go with which cards from playing the game several times, it doesn't feel intuitive. Like, I don't look at the cards and be like, oh, I have a lot of red dice. I'm going to get a lot of hits. I have to go through several steps of processing to figure that out. So, yeah, it definitely increases the downtime. I wish they had just made some better color-based icon choices in the cards Yeah, just made the game quicker and easier to play that way. Yeah, so there's a bonus sixth thing in our top five list for you guys. (laughs) Because to be honorable mention, I didn't put that in there either, but you're right. That would have made it so much easier because every time I know you know what's on the dice faces because you get that stuff quicker than I do, but I have to look it up almost every time I roll the dice to figure out which dice give me which symbols. The only one I know is red. Red gives you the pal symbols. Like, I got that one. Yeah. All right, well, you've, you've stolen my points uh, twice in a row. What's, what's your number three? I'm curious. My number three is going to be your number two, and that is the Infinity Stone mechanism. Nope. All right, good. So the Infinity Stone mechanism is really cool. I actually like the way it leads to ramp up in the game. If you've listened to us in the past, you know that one of the things we really like is when a cooperative game gets tougher and tougher as the game goes along. Forbidden Island does this really well by taking cards out as the game is going along, so it leads to this ramp up and makes the game harder. Well, the way the Infinity Stone mechanism works is once you roll an Infinity Stone five times, It's like got a token there that you flip over, and every time you roll that same Infinity Stone color going forward, you then do something really bad. 
And so the more infinity stones you start flipping over, the worse and worse bad stuff starts happening to you and kind of accelerates the negative part of the game. So I really like the way they did the infinity stone system. I really think it leads to a very good ramp up as the game goes along. Yeah, so it's interesting. I I did not include the infinity stone mechanism in my list at all. And it's not because I don't think it's interesting, but it's because it was kind of so blah for me. Because you're right that it does lead to a ramp up. There is some good stuff there. But I found the powers themselves a little bit fiddly once they flipped. And also, it's going to go into my number two, which is the general swinginess of the game. Some games, you'll just keep on rolling different Infinity Stone results, and they'll be totally spread out, and none of them will ever flip. Some games, they'll flip, but then you'll never roll that Infinity Stone again, and the power will never come into play. And then some games, you just have bad luck, and they flip very quickly, and they can't use consistently. So... It probably should have been on my list, but I think it kind of goes into number two. But what I'm going to focus on more for number two in swinginess is that the villains and the heroes are shuffled into the same deck. And it's about a three to one ratio. There's like 32 heroes and 10 villains. And you just deal out nine of them. And at all time, there's nine cards on the board. And you could have a ton of villains and very few heroes. Now, of course, the odds are better that you'll have more heroes because of the ratio. But... I had a game where I started with like five villains on the board and it was basically impossible to win and it was really frustrating. And similarly, you really need heroes that give you extra dice early because you start with so few dice. You only start with four dice, which is barely enough to get some of the weaker cards. So again, even if you don't get a lot of villains on the board, if you get a lot of heroes who heal or manipulate the dice that you don't have yet... Again, it's not very useful and it becomes really frustrating. So I think the game can have some really rough starts and is just very kind of swingy in how the difficulty of the game comes out, both with the Infinity Stones and the cards dealt and whether or not you can get dice early or not. Totally agree with that. Getting to my number two. My number two is that the cards have pretty neat powers on them, even though they can be pretty fiddly. And the fact that there are different ones makes it so that you do have this fiddliness with what does that card do again? Oh yeah, that's one of the healing cards. I will say they are limited, so you will see the same powers over and over. There are four different colors in the game, and each of the colors has basically the same cards in them. But I do like what they did with the cards. They let you heal your heroes, so the damage comes in pretty hot and heavy. And I like the option of the game to give you some healing here. It doesn't bother me the way it did in Harry Potter because I don't think it slows down the acceleration of the game. But I do think it gives you options to like, all right, who do I want to save? There are also these power cards that give you more dice, as Mike was mentioning, and other ones that give you dice manipulation. So if you roll a certain symbol, you can change it to any side of the dice. And that also kind of works with the different types of dice you have. So you might roll a red dice, roll one of the uncommon symbols and be able to change it to the most powerful side of the dice. And every dice has one very powerful side to it of whatever symbol is associated with that color. So I do like how you can change the dice using those cards. So I like the variety in there, although it certainly could be more. Yeah, see, that was one of my honorable mentions as a con for two reasons. Number one, I think the powers, besides not being varied, they're not very thematic, and it's kind of frustrating, especially because I love the Marvel Universe movies. The big example that jumped out at me, I saw Mantis from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and she had a healing power, and I was like, yeah, that that makes sense. You know, she she helps people feel calm. That's healing. And then they had, uh, you know, sort of baby teenage Groot, and he had the identical power, and I was like, no, what? Groot? 
when he was big Groot, he protected them in the first Guardians of the Galaxy, but he is not healing in any way, shape, or form. And I was really frustrated that they had so many limited, such limited powers, and that two characters that I find incredibly different in their theme had the exact same power. I think I was looking through them, and they only have about, like, five or six powers that were really good. And this is out of 32 heroes. Like, the Hulk is good. He gets hurt, and he gives you more dice. Drax is good. When you are fighting a villain, he gives you more dice. There are a few like that, but the vast majority of them are the exact same thing and don't really have almost anything to do with the actual theme of the hero. My other criticism of them, and sorry I'm going on about this. I'll, I'll no, get to that's my number right. one in a second. My other criticism is, again, in the graphic design. I think the graphic design for this game is kind of a fail. I find the text on the cards very small, and it could have been completely icon-based. It's like they have a paragraph that says, you can change you know, nets or whatever that blue die result is. You can change net results into any result. That could have been a big net equals question mark. And it would have been very easy to see from across the table when I have eight heroes in front of me, it would have taken me a second to know what my power was. But now I got to read a little paragraph on each person, which goes back to my old point about uh, the downtime and having a lot of heroes being frustrating on your team. They did nothing to make the powers quick to figure out. I don't, I don't understand it. It's such, it would have been such an easy thing to have it be totally icon based and take away words entirely for, for like all the powers. Cause they're all the same darn powers. There's not that much variety in the powers here. So it's, yeah, I think the graphic design for this game is pretty much a fail. They did not make it easy for you to play it in any of the ways that I think they could have. Sorry, Thanos Rising. I do agree with you, but I do like how they give you dice manipulation. Yeah, no, no, the, the, the powers themselves are okay. I want more variety, but the powers are fine. I just think they're presented in the hardest, most slow-down-the-game-y way. Yeah, yeah, I I can totally agree with that. All right, Mike, what's your number one? My number one is something we've talked about before, and it's one thing that I absolutely hate. And man, we work so hard in our games not to have this happen. And that is that you can frequently, especially in the early game, completely waste your turn and accomplish nothing. That's because the way dice are resolved in this game is a lot like Elder Sign in that you have these icons to match. And if you are one icon short at the end, you get nothing. You don't defeat that card. Here it's the same thing, but it's worse here than Elder Sign because you have four dice to start. It is so easy on four dice for you to get weird random swings of luck and not get much of anything. And and many of the cards have so many icons that it's literally impossible for you to get them with just those four starting dice. So the fact that you have bad downtime and like fiddly tokens, and then sometimes your turn is literally nothing except Thanos making you put health tokens on people and everyone else is watching your turn be nothing, really frustrating. I have a big problem with games that make you waste your entire turn. And again, this one isn't just wasting your entire turn. It's making bad crap happen and wasting your entire turn. And it's quite frequent, and it happens in the beginning of the game, which is kind of the worst place for it to happen. So, yeah, I found that very frustrating. Like, I found playing this game pretty frustrating in a lot of ways. Y'all can probably tell that. Yeah, so my number one is basically the exact same thing. I put, failure can and will happen. And, I mean, maybe not for you on every single game, but it will happen to somebody at the table, and somebody will get behind the power curve, because that's what exactly what happens. If you are not getting more heroes on your team, you need to get one more hero on your team just to get that fifth dice. And as you said earlier, a lot of the heroes are very hard to get with just four dice at the beginning of the game. A lot of the recruiting you need to do, you really, they were kind of counting on you having five dice, because your original starting hero gives you an extra dice if you have someone else on their team there. 
But if nobody else on your team is face up, or the only people on your team that are face up are almost impossible for you to get, and or if you just get really bad rolls and never get what you need, you can really fall behind on this game. And if you don't have at least five dice, you just can't do anything. And so that's my biggest problem with the game. When you fail and it puts you behind, it is really hard to get out of that hole. And I know they were counting on you being able to do it. And I guess the people at the table have to kind of let you do that. Oh, there's an easy one. Let's let this person get it. But they don't all give you dice either. So if you get behind dice and you just don't have five, six, seven dice, then you're not going to be able to do much in the game. Yeah. So for our final thoughts, although they're not really our final thoughts, because don't forget we're having the Reckoners review coming up in just a moment, and then we're going to have a little bit of a showdown between the two dice games. But my final thoughts and recommendations, I don't really recommend this game. I think even though it's it's fairly inexpensive and has a theme that a lot of people are going to enjoy... I think it makes so many poor choices in the fiddliness, in the downtime, in the poor graphical design, in the fact that you could waste your turn. All of that can make the game really frustrating, and I, I didn't find it that fun when I played it. I don't really want to play it anymore, and that's that's a very rare thing for me to say about a game. Even Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle, I was really into playing for at least the first plays. This one, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of done with this. I'm, I'm, I played it more to make sure I was ready for the podcast, but not too impressed. And the thing is, this is a game that could easily have some variants put in and make it better. Like, somebody could do a graphical redesign of the cards. You could have a seeding method where you never end up with too many villains and you always end up with things. I would really recommend that you start out a little bit faster, like put, you know, uh, a, sto- a token on each of the Infinity Stones and give everybody six dice instead of four dice and a few starting heroes. There's lots of ways to make the game better and fix these problems. But at that point, we're redesigning the entire game. Why were these mistakes made? I don't really know. So I don't think it's worth it. I think there are much better dice games out there than Thanos Rising. I would not recommend you play this. Yeah, it's funny because I bought this because my kids were totally into Infinity Wars. They saw the movies. I played it with them. And they actually didn't dislike it as much as us. One thing we have to remember, we are coming from a game designer perspective. We are coming from heavy gamer perspective that have played the games a lot of times. The kids still claim to like the game, although they get bored with it and we almost never finish. So I think that is saying something. They like the theme. They like the superheroes. And I think they've done a good job at that, right? They've given you this cool miniature in the middle of the table, which really doesn't do a whole lot. But it's cool to have, right? People want that. And it is family weight. Certainly, you could teach this to anybody. There isn't really a whole lot of rules that you'd have to go through explaining it. So you roll the dice. When you get certain symbols, you can put them on the cards. And if you have enough on the card, you take it. So it is pretty easy to get into. But the one thing that sticks out to me, and it was my number one, and I guess my number five also were kind of related, is this is not a long game. It probably only takes a half an hour, 45 minutes to play. But it feels like a two to three hour game. It really drags. And I don't know why I think it is the fact that you're just not doing anything when it's not your turn. And it's going to drag more with more people. And you're more likely to get less of what you need with more people as well. Because you're going to have less overall turns in the game. So I'm with you, Mike. I certainly think if your family just loves Infinity Wars and loves Avengers, you'll probably get some fun out of it. But I personally don't want to play the game anymore. Yeah, and I would say if you want a good superhero game, go play Sentinels of the Multiverse. You actually feel like like a superhero in that one. I never felt like I was Captain America in this. It was it's nothing. Like the the theme is the theme is not pasted on, but barely there. 
And Marvel Legendary is a game we haven't covered yet, but I think even that does a much better job of making you feel like a superhero, even though you're kind of still a team of superheroes. At least the card powers seem to relate to the superhero that they're going with. So I would even recommend that one over this one if you're looking for a co-op Marvel-based game. All right, that's going to be it for Thanos Rising, but don't forget our little uh, debate about the two games at the end. But now we're going to head over to The Reckoners by Seth Van Orn and Noah Adelman, published by Navu Games. And we did get sent this as a review copy, just so everybody out there knows. So The Reckoners is a series of books starting with the first one called Steelheart, and that is what this board game is based on, is the first book in the series. And in this universe, the Reckoners are a group of humans fighting back against the superheroes, who in this universe are all evil, and have basically taken over and kind of run things in a tyrannical way. And if any of these superheroes don't like anything a normal person's doing, they'll just off them with no morality or anything else. And so the Reckoners basically take the most evil of these superheroes, and they're like this secret high-tech team that goes in and takes them out. But they're all normal humans otherwise. Yep, and the rules, it is somewhat similar to Thanos Rising. It is, of course, another dice game. In this case, though, you all play simultaneously, and there are a number of locations on the board equal to the number of players plus one. And each location has an epic, which is the name for these sort of superhero, supervillain characters assigned to it, which is a card with several actions that make the game harder and mess you up. And on your turn, you roll six dice. You can get a few more, but generally you're rolling six dice. And you're doing them three times in sort of a Yahtzee-ish way. And each time you must keep at least one of the dice. And then all the players, they're simultaneously rolling, and then they simultaneously resolve the dice. So each die has a specific effect, depending on what you rolled. It'll give you money, it'll move you around the board, it will attack the epics, defeat the enforcement sort of police officers that are patrolling the town. So you get to kind of figure out how to use each of your dice. Then you activate each of the epics, and they basically have this little marker that moves to the right each turn, giving them more and more negative powers they do. They'll usually attack the citizens of the town or boost Steelheart, who's the big boss of the town, or put enforcement miniatures on the board. And then uh, Steelheart activates and does a whole bunch more stuff, and you go at it again. And the only thing I forgot is after the player turn, you also have a little upgrade phase where you can get rewards from epics you've defeated, or you can buy some uh, stuff that gives you dice manipulation, extra dice, those kind of things you might expect. And basically it's a race. You're trying to research Steelheart's weakness because every epic has a weakness kind of like Superman's kryptonite. And then you're trying to defeat him once you've found his weakness. And you're trying to do that before the epics basically wipe out the entire population of the city and bring that down to zero. So if you can beat him before they beat the entire city, you win. All right, so I'll start off first this time. My first one is going to be a little bit of a con, and I feel bad about this after subjecting you to a lot of cons in Infinity Wars, but we're, we're going to go ahead and start with one more con. This game needs more variety. The locations were all exactly the same, and then the villains themselves are different, certainly, but they all feel kind of the same. Certainly, there are ones that you want to take out before you take out other ones. There are ones that are easier to take out, but I didn't... There are no text special abilities, and not that I even wanted that in this game, but it did feel like it was going to play out the same the more and more we played it. I mean, I played it five or six times, and I wasn't bored of playing it, so don't take that the wrong way. I just felt like 
I wanted more variety in certain things. And even the upgrades and the dice themselves all felt very similar. I wish that the dice even had more variety to them. The dice, unlike in Thanos Rising, have all six symbols on every single dice you have. And so just the thing that makes them special is, depending on the color of dice, if it's a black dice, then the black symbol is shown twice on the side that would normally have a black symbol instead of just once. But there is no more chance of getting that symbol than on any other dice. So I just wish there was some more variety in the upgrades and some more variety in the dice and the enemies. But all of that can be fixed with an expansion. I'll discuss that more later, but my number five is also a bit of a mix, and that's the component quality. So the game is super overproduced. They have like a little plastic tray for every single thing in the game. They have really nice storage in the box. It's really great, and I like the the illustration, the component quality. The dice are really nice. They feel good in your hand. The cards are great. All of that's excellent. And also I'll note, because this kind of goes into component quality, unlike Thanos Rising, the iconography and the color matching in this is so perfect. It makes everything so easy. The things you affect, like the just to give you an example, the enforcement miniatures are red. The die that has the most enforcement killed effects are red. The character that uses them has a red character sheet. Like Everything matches together. The symbol itself is a red symbol. It makes it really easy to figure out exactly what goes with what. So I really love the graphical design. Now, the negative side of this is that, I guess because the game was so overproduced, this is a really expensive game. And even though we got our copy for free from the publisher, I have to point it out because it's going to affect all of you. The MSRP for this game is $100. And... And, you know, $100 games, I'm expecting these days to get, like, a ton of miniatures or some kind of thing like that. And while there are some nice miniatures in the game, there's not that many. And although the components are wonderful, it does seem like that price is a little bit high for what you're getting. Now, I'm sure once it's out in September or October, you can get it on Cool Stuff or one of those online shops for 65 or $70, and that'll seem fine. But the idea of paying a full 100 for this, I don't know if I would go for it. So the components are great, but they might have gone a little bit too far in upgrading the components and made their MSRP a little bit too out of reach for the kind of game this is. Wow, if that's your number five, I can't imagine what your number one's going to be. Well, <laughs> let's hear your list, Peter. What's your number four? All right, so my number four is that uh, dice mechanism and mitigation is very cool. So the way this game works and the way it actually takes away downtime is everybody rolls their dice at the same time and we're saving our dice at the same time. Now, if it really matters, if what you do matters, I can hold out or you can hold out and wait for me to finish rolling my dice. But really, everybody can do this dice rolling portion of it at the same time. And then we start assigning our dice one at a time to the top. Again, if it doesn't matter, we can do this simultaneous, which speeds up gameplay and makes it feel quicker than it actually is, I think, even. So unlike Thanos Rising, which feels like it's two hours and it's in 30 minutes, I feel like this might be an hour or two, but it feels like 30 minutes. Like you always seem involved in it. And I think it's because of this dice uh, mechanism. The other thing is the mitigation isn't just revolved around the cards in this game. There are actually two actions you can do regardless of what symbol are on the dice. One is moving and the other one is removing barricades. Barricades are basically put up to prevent you from moving around the city and you can use any dice for those. And so if you rolled extra symbols you don't need, you can always use those dice to move yourself around the city or to remove barricades. So I thought it was kind of nice that they gave you extra options regardless of what you rolled. 
Yeah, so my number four is going back to the upgrade cards you talked about in your number five. I really like how the upgrade cards are done in this game, specifically because there are only six cards out of the entire deck of upgrade cards that gives you extra dice. And that might sound weird, because in a dice game, don't you want to get more dice? But as I found in Thanos Rising, having a ton of dice just makes the turns take longer and doesn't necessarily make the choices more exciting. I like it better here because you usually keep about the same number of dice, but the dice become better. It's almost like you're leveling up your dice because dice that gave you one result before will now give you two results. Or you'll be able to change this result into that result. Or you'll get some free attacks every turn. So I really like the simple way the upgrade cards are done. Also, they have these plan tokens that you can get from some of the uh, dice results. And you can't use them that term, but they become a wild for future turns. So those two things together, it's kind of similar to what you said, Peter, about dice mitigation for your number four. But I really like how between the upgrade cards and the plan tokens, you become a lot more powerful and can accomplish a lot more in each turn without the turns taking a ton longer or feeling more fiddly. Yeah, so my next one is something that never occurred to me before for co-op games. And that is always... There is one victory condition and, like, five loss conditions always. This game has the simplest victory and loss conditions I've seen of any game. So there's one victory condition and there's one loss condition. And, yes, there are a lot of bad things that happen, and normally in other games would be considered separate loss conditions, but they really break it down to be very simple here. Either you defeat Steelheart, which is investigating him fully and then attacking him until all his life is gone, or he destroys everybody in the town. Now, all bad things that happen end up killing people eventually. So if Mike was talking about moving the track to the right on these bad guys and more, they do more and more bad stuff. Well, if the track's all the way to the right already, then usually he'll end up doing bad things that end up killing citizens. So bottom line is there's only two levers here, really. It's killing citizens and it's killing Steelheart. So I just like how they've simplified everything down to those two things, but it doesn't feel like there's not a lot there. It feels like there's a lot of things happening still, but the victory conditions just simplified down to those two core toggles. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but you're right that this is some of the simplest victory and loss conditions I've ever seen. And I like that everything leads to Steelheart defeating the city faster, but you only need that one thing for him to win. Well, and as part of that, and I wrote this down and I I skipped over it, but it also is a creep toward doom for you. So the game is always progressing forward. There isn't ways to add more citizens to the to the town, right? I mean, (laughs) mean, there are always ways to add more citizens, but, you know, not in in a day or two. (laughs) Right, exactly. So (laughs) so the number keeps ticking down as the game goes on. And there's always a minimum number of citizens that are going to be removed every single turn. So there's never going to be an endless loop situation. And so, yeah, it just works and it's super straightforward and simple. And it's it's genius, to be honest. So my number three is going to touch on your number five and the the lack of variety. And that's this is a mix, by the way. So it's about the epics overall. And I totally agree that they don't have enough variety, that the effects they cause on their turns aren't different enough. And I, I really wish it would have been very simple. They wouldn't even need to have like a text that is active all the time. You've got these little tracks of actions for each of the epics. I wish they had just like put in a star in a few places on each epics track. And when the star happens, they do like their special thing. 
And it wouldn't have to be anything too tough. Like, it could be for each barricade on the board, do this. Or for each enforcement figure on the board, take away one citizen from the city. Like, there's lots of things they could have played around with that would have been pretty cool. So the fact that they didn't have any special powers for the locations or the enemies, definitely a missed opportunity. And and if they do an expansion, I hope that instead of just adding more villains and more supervillains... I hope that they instead kind of re-implement the villains they already have and make them more complicated. Because the one nice thing is that right now the game's super straightforward. You don't have to read a lot of text to figure out what's going. In fact, there's no text anywhere. It's all icon-based. But if they do an expansion, which I would like them to, I hope that they do make a new deck of epics that are much more interesting and make more of a tactical puzzle. Now, the cool thing about the epics that we haven't talked about too much yet is that, as I said, they have a weakness that you can research. So basically they have two health tracks. They have the research track and they have the damage track. And if you move the research track all the way down, their life value drops to a lower value automatically. So it goes from 6 to 2, for example. But it always goes from 6 to 2, even if you've already done 2 damage to them before you research them, it's always going to drop to that lower value, regardless of what damage you've done so far. And then you can also do an action to push their action tracker back so they don't accomplish as much as on their turn. So I really like the choices this has because sometimes you just want to go crazy and blow up the epic without like researching them at all. Although some epics literally cannot be hurt because they dodge bullets or fun things like that until you research them. And then sometimes you want to research them. Sometimes you just want to don't want to defeat them at all and you just want to kind of weaken them and stop them from doing stuff. I found those choices really cool. So I liked that side of the epics, but was looking for more variety, like you said. All right, Mike. Well, I think we have a first here on Co-op Cast. What's that? I have literally spoiled my own list. What? So my number four, when I was talking about... Dice mitigation and manipulation. I also talked about the integrated turn structure. But my number two is the integrated turn structure. My number two is the integrated turn structure. (laughs) So I literally spoiled my own list (laughs) as I was talking about number four. Yeah, I I was surprised that was so like high on your list because I was like, that's such a good thing. You're you're really going to mention that now? Like it's just an off the cuff thing. So I'm glad it came, made a second appearance. Yeah, so I'll let you talk more about it here. So let me talk one more thing because you brought up something that kind of sparked something in my mind. When you talked about that black result, which is the planning action, which you can save it for later, that one's a little bit mixed for me because I do understand the con of it is that it pushes off that action to a later turn, but it is so much better than any other result because it can literally be whatever you want it to be and you have it sitting around there so later turns you can do more than six things. I wish they would have done something to weaken those a little bit. Because they do seem a little bit powerful, but at the same time, they allow you to do cool things like 23 damage to somebody all in one turn. So, while it makes it really cool, I wish in some way they would have limited it. See, I I felt that way my first couple of games, but I have come around on that. I do think that the one character, Prof, who gets three of those for a single die roll, he might be a little bit overpowered. Now, if you're researching an epic, but you're not going to defeat them this turn, a plan token is identical because you can use it next turn to research them. Same thing with damaging an epic. But for everything else, not getting it this turn is a pretty big thing. If you don't defeat that enforcement guy, he's boosted that villain in extra space. If you don't lower that villain's track, they're doing extra stuff. If you don't buy that, get that money, you can't buy that upgrade and you're not getting that upgrade's effect for an entire turn. You have to buy it one turn later. So I do think that Prof might be overpowered, but but I think as you play more, you might find that the plan tokens, apart from him, actually work pretty well as intended. At least they did for me. 
No, absolutely. I guess I just wish they didn't have upgrade cards that let you get three for one. So beside that, I think it works really well, though. But go ahead, Mike. Talk about the integrated turn structure, because I touched on it earlier. Yeah, the, the, the integrated turn structure, it's been done before in other games. Battle for Greyport does it. Shadow Rift also has integrated turns. Spirit Island, one of my recent favorites, has integrated turns. And between playing these games and real-time games, I kind of want every co-op to have integrated turns now. I almost want to go back and look at Salvation Road, our co-op again, and figure out a way to make it have integrated turns. Because it's almost there anyway. It wouldn't be that much of a change to give it integrated turns. I love that you can play very quickly and ignore each other if you need to, but it also vastly increases the cooperation because I can do something that sets something up for you. I can take away the barricade so you can move and do all your damage to the enemy. I can research a guy so that you can blast them. I love that the integrated turn structure does that. And like you said, it makes the game just play so quickly. So I don't want to repeat you too much. You already got most of it. But man, I'm definitely getting to the place where I kind of want to design as many co-ops as possible to have these integrated turns when it'll work for the game. Well, I will say there are a couple situations where it works better than others. I think the two situations you've mentioned are the best places for it. Both deck building and in these dice rolling games where you're using dice to take your actions. Because it's a quick and easy way to track what actions you've done already and which ones you still have left. I don't think it would work in a lot of games. So, for example, Flashpoint Fire Rescue or Pandemic where you have four actions per turn. You're right. We've tried to use it in games like that, and it just gets confusing, and it makes the games actually take longer, because you're always like, no, why don't you take an action? No, why don't you take an action? So if done improperly, I think that it can make the game worse, but I found it great in this game, and I loved how they integrated the turns. Yeah, and just a quick mention, because Colin's been playing it on the One Stop Co-op Shop YouTube channel... But the new co-op and solo version of Thunderstone that's on Kickstarter right now, another deck builder, also has integrated turns. And Colin's saying he really enjoys how that works there, too. So, again, definitely a good thing. But, Peter, you have not mentioned something I mentioned earlier, and you were surprised it was so high on my list. So I think I know what your number one is, but go ahead and hit us with it. Yes, my number one is that this game is overproduced. And a lot of times that has a negative connotation to it. And don't get me wrong, there are definitely negatives. The $100 price point is an issue for the game. Are there $100 of components in here? I would actually argue with you that there are between all the trays that are in the game. I mean, they have trays for everything, every player, and it plays up to six. We didn't mention that earlier, but it plays up to six players. All six players have their own unique player boards that are custom molded. And then all the locations, which there are seven of them, have location boards which are custom molded. And there are these other two custom molded trays. So there's a lot of that. Plus there are six miniatures for the heroes and one for Steelheart himself, which are all very good quality and excellently sculpted. Plus they, don't forget, have to pay royalties to Brandon Sanderson, the publishing company. So the value in this game, I think, is there. With that said, could it have been produced for $40 to $60? Probably. You don't have any of those custom trays in there. They could have all been done with cardboard cutouts and would have accomplished the same thing. Now, originally, I was pretty against the overproduction, which is weird for me to say because I typically like that kind of stuff. 
But I will be honest and say, I think it does help gameplay as well. I think part of the reason the game runs so smoothly is you do have those spots to put dice to remind you, are you on your first reroll, your second reroll, your third reroll? None of those questions ever come up because the trays are so well designed. And I think they did a great job with the production here. And I am a little bit of a production snob, and it does make the game feel better for me to play. So for me, it's a, it's a mix. It's a pro and a con. I really love the components. I love what they did with it. I love how everything fits so smoothly in the box. The dice are great quality. And so I really like that. I am a little sad that it is a $100 game, but I think the whole package is worth $100 to me. Yeah, I'll compare it to Too Many Bones, which is another game that's overproduced, but you can kind of argue that all the really nice stuff in there justifies the overproduction. But yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I wish this game had been like 40 or $50, if only because I think it would sell more copies and get more of a following, and I think there's a lot of good stuff going on here, which I'll discuss in my number one, which is a pro, and it's kind of the exact opposite of the Thanos Rising one. I love that, unlike a lot of these dice games... Each die has its own effect, and you get to make little individual choices, and it's never an all or nothing where nothing happens on your turn. And specifically, I'll note that it's interesting that you're fighting superheroes and you're just humans, because every time I played this game, I've felt like a superhero. Yeah. The way they designed it, you do a ton of awesome stuff every turn. Like, you can very easily coordinate your actions to take out one or two epics every turn and get their rewards you just feel so awesome and a lot of games don't let you do that it's like you're just hitting your fist against a wall over and over and eventually you get a little bit of progress you kick butt every turn now the game comes back and hits you fast enough that you need to do it again and again and again but i feel so good in the turns of this game like i just feel so powerful like man i might not win but i'm gonna do amazing things i'm gonna i'm gonna put some really cool combos together And I also just like the tactical choice that the dice provide and the little puzzles that open up, especially when you're playing with the other players and and figuring out how everything works. So yeah, it's interesting that in a superhero game where you are the humans, I feel like a superhero. I feel awesome in this game. Well, and I'll tell you, the last game I played, it was with Nicholas and Allison. So just for those of you who are are new to the show, Allison is my seven-year-old daughter. Nicholas is my 10-year-old son. We played this the other day. And we're going into the last round, and it's obvious it's going to be the last round. There's like four citizens left. All the dials are all the way up on most of this stuff. And we had literally just researched them, so we needed to do 23 damage in one round between three of us, and we found a way to do it. And it's not like we had a million black tokens sitting around. If we did, then it would have been obvious, oh, we're going to be able to do this. We literally had to put all our resources, all our dice, all or nothing, go, go for it round, and we put it together, and it was awesome. Now, we didn't feel like it was some dice luck. We got ourselves into that position, right? We had taken out enough barricades, and we had just held on long enough where we could have that super awesome, super cool turn. Yeah, the kids were super excited afterwards, and they definitely wanted to go back and play it. In fact, they were very sad that you took the game away the next day because we (laughs) haven't had a chance to play it since then. Sorry, you can have it back. (laughs) I feel like every game we've played has come down to that. And like I said, the kids don't get bored It's exactly the opposite, in fact. They asked to play Thanos Rising, and then three turns in, they got bored. And for this one, they're like, I don't know, because they don't know the IP very well. But then they come in and play, and it's like, well, let's play one more turn, Dad. Let's just play one more turn. It's interesting, coming from a father's perspective, this game really excited them about playing it. 
And I'll tell you, it excited our whole family, just getting into our final thoughts here, it excited our whole family about the book series. And we started reading the first book together as a family. And so now they're really into the theme. So I think I'm going to get the where's that game again questions even more now because we're literally reading the book every night. In fact, I read it to him tonight before we went to bed. Yeah, and getting into my final thoughts. First of all, I just finished the first book a few days ago. And man, it's it's really good. I'd recommend uh, checking it out if you like Brandon Sanderson. But yeah, this is... It's a weird one because the price is so high, but I think the gameplay is excellent. So, you know, maybe wait until it's out in retail in, like, September or October. Maybe get it uh, from an online store. But I think there's a lot of game here. I think this is one of the best of this type of game I've ever played. I played it with gamers, and it was fun. I played it solo. It was great solo. Much more puzzly because you have to manage multiple characters, but that, that's a lot of fun. I played it with my wife, who's a casual gamer. She loved it. She was really into it, wanted to play again. And and the game is so intuitive, as you said, Peter, with the way the, the boards and everything, the overproduction kind of helps you play the game and the good iconography. She was, it took like five minutes to explain the rules. She was cooking with gas. She could play her entire turn with no questions to me at all, every time. And you did mention the final pro that I'll kind of put out here, even though the game costs a lot, it plays six players in barely more time than it takes it to play two players. And it's interesting and it's fun. Now, I haven't played with six, but I can just kind of extrapolate based on playing it with two and three and four. This game is going to be a good co-op with six. And there are almost none of those. Yeah. I had six people over at my game night the other day and I had, it was like, hey, we're playing code names. There you go. <laughs> That's it. So yeah, it's... It's a really great dice game, and it plays six players so well. So I think if that's something you're interested in, if that's something that happens with your game group, I think this would really be a good sell for a lot of you. Well, I don't think we're leaving much room for imagination here with this debate at the end here. So I'm just going to say, starting out, let, let's start with the biggest point, I guess, for the debate. I think Thanos Rising I paid 40 or $50 for, and we know The Reckoners is going to be $100. I would pay $100 for The Reckoners a million times before I'd pay <laughs> 40 or $50 for Thanos Rising again. I mean, it's a funny debate we can get into if we want to get even deeper into this, but price certainly matters. And if you're on a limited budget, it certainly matters. But at the same time, gameplay matters too. And I would happily pay a higher price for a game that I am excited to play and excited to even bring out and show people. So I think one thing the overproduction also has in its favor is that new gamers are going to look at this and go, wow, what's that? People who just see it, it's it's a beautiful game. It has very good table presence. Now, I will say, it takes up a lot of table space. So that's the only thing I do worry about with six players is how are you yes. all going to fit around the <laughs> table? Holy cow. That is uh, definitely going to take up a lot of table space. But it is a fun game. It plays fast. New gamers would look at it and go, wow, that's really neat looking. What's that all about? And actually be able to play it. And that's the cool part about it. Yes, do I wish there was a way to expand it a little bit? Yes, and I hope by everybody buying it that they do come out with expansions and they do have more content and maybe ramp up the, not the difficulty of the game itself because there's enough ways to do that, but ramp up the variety in the game a little bit. And so, I mean, again, it might even just be have new hero dice that we can throw that have different odds on each side. You know, that's one thing I will say Thanos Rising, I think, has in its favor. I like how the dice, you know when you're throwing that red dice that you're definitely going to do more POW symbols. 
And and I like that. And that's the one thing we didn't really cover with the Reckoners. Every side of the dice has the same six sides. And there are ways to manipulate that, right? You're buying items that can change your sides of the dice. But um, that is one thing I wish there was a little bit more of in the Reckoners. Yeah, and I'll, I'll kind of tag off that and talk about the accessibility of both the games. Because I think this is a place where Thanos Rising mostly wins. So the price point is more accessible, obviously. The theme is much more accessible. I love The Reckoners, but everyone's heard of Infinity War, even if they haven't seen it. Whereas I had not really heard of The Reckoners until Colin mentioned this game to us. And even the the actions, The Reckoners has, you know, six or seven different actions your character can take. Now, they're very intuitive, but still, it's six or seven different actions you have to talk about. And Thanos Rising, you're just putting dice on cards, and that's it. It's very simple. Of course, the graphic design, the Reckoners wins hands down so much. I think that once you're actually playing the game, you're never going to have a question with the Reckoners, and I can see you having questions with Thanos Rising because stuff is not clear, and you'll have to like look up which dice are which again. But yeah, but I think overall Thanos Rising does win some in accessibility, which means I mean, besides the bigger IP, it's definitely going to sell more, and that's unfortunate because I agree with you that... I'd much rather have a good game that costs more than a game that I'm going to trade or sell right away or just sit on my shelf never getting played that costs less. It's interesting because I had the only game I had played like this before Thanos Rising and the Reckoners is Elder Sign, and I wasn't a huge fan of it. And I think the reason is partially what we talked about earlier, that Thanos Rising has this problem too. In that game, you can have failure... And in Elder Sign also, when you have failure, you might have put cards in and done things like used your resources to achieve this goal. And if you fail at achieving it, you just fail. And that's one thing the Reckoners, you know, you pointed out with your number one very well. There's always stuff to do, you know, and, and I really like that. And so I think just as a design point, I wasn't as interested in these dice rolling, see what happens kind of games before. But I think if we were to design one, I think the important thing is mitigation. So you always feel like you have something. It might not be exactly what you want to do, but at least you feel like you're making progress whenever you're playing and you have interesting choices because of that. Yeah, it really is the one-two punch. Like, you know, I I let Thanos Rising win the first one, but the simultaneous turns and the dice being kind of an interesting choice instead of an all or nothing, those two together make the Reckoner so much fun to play and so quick to play. And Thanos Rising is such a slog, man. I think you were being kind when you said it took 30 to 45 minutes. I I feel like a couple of my games took like an hour to an hour and a half because not a lot happens. The villains don't always come out. (sighs) Moving those darn health tokens. The Reckoners has basically no tokens to keep track of. You slide some things around and you get some cards and you put a few miniatures on the board, but it's so quick and just streamlined. Which, again, is funny for an overproduced $100 game, but it is it is streamlined to a T. Like, everything moves so quickly. Although, again, I think both games really suffer from variety. Thanos Rising has almost no power differences between the characters, and they don't really match theme-wise. And this game needs, uh, the Reckoners needs more theme and more variety in the epics. So, I don't know if either game would... Still keep me interested 20 plays in. Well, (laughs) I know Thanos Rising wouldn't keep me interested 20 plays in, but The Reckoners, I can't promise that I would want to play it like five times in a row in as many days. It's definitely the kind of game I would want to bring out again every couple of weeks or every month, and it could stay in my collection for a long time, but 
Yeah, until they maybe have an expansion or something to increase those epic varieties so that the puzzle becomes more interesting. I don't know if it's going to be around, like, forever for me. Yeah, and I guess I was a little unfair to Thanos Rising earlier, and don't get me wrong, I feel the same way. I don't want to play it anymore either. But when I was talking about variety for the Reckoners, I said, oh, they can just fix that with an expansion. And I didn't point that out for Thanos Rising, and I think I should. Thanos Rising could benefit from an expansion with more variety. Maybe they could change up some of the hero powers themselves to make them more thematic. But I probably wouldn't buy it where I would probably buy a Reckoners expansion if it promised more tactical choices in the game. I mean, the big thing with Thanos Rising, and I'd mentioned this before, is that it would need, like, basically a whole core redesign. The Reckoners, it's like, give me a few extra cards with a few different powers, and I'm good to go. Thanos Rising, I need I need major sections of the rulebook completely re- re- rewritten and changed for me to really enjoy that game fully. So I think, you know, it'd have to be like... <laughs> I think Fantasy Flight is a lot better lately, but it'd have to be like one of those early Fantasy Flight expansions where it changes up half the rules. <laughs> it doesn't even look like the same game anymore because they fixed all the errors they realized after the first printing. Yeah. So I, I think it's pretty clear from probably the moment we started this review that The Reckoners is a hands-down winner for us in this. Thanos Rising, while it's a game, and some people may enjoy it, and I'm we are not... we. So that's the other thing. I don't want people to feel like we're putting you down if you like a game like Thanos Rising. I'm sure that there are some people that it's going to appeal to, and there are sometimes you just want to sit down, not think too much, drink. It'll certainly let you socialize more than a game like The Reckoners, because you're always involved in The Reckoners. So something <laughs> like Thanos Rising would give you time. All that downtime means you can talk to each other, instead yeah. of, you know, actually playing the game and enjoying yourself. <laughs> But, you know, some people want that. You know, some people used to say those they like those long two-hour-per-turn war games because, you know, it just let them kind of relax and not think while the other person's taking their turn. If that's your cup of tea, I mean, I guess there are different groups for everything. So I don't want to say Thanos Rising isn't for anybody. There are certainly groups that are going to enjoy it, but I think you'll be able to tell from our review whether your group is going to enjoy it or not. Absolutely. So I think that'll about do it. Go get the Reckoners in September, October, if if you can stomach that high price tag. And by the way, just a quick note, if you are not subscribed to Colin's YouTube channel, One Stop Co-op Shop, I've started doing video reviews, and the first three reviews should be up by the time that this podcast is running, and they match the last three games we've talked about, Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle, The Reckoners, and Thanos Rising. I'll say a lot of the same things in the videos that I did here, but they're only five minutes long and you get to see kind of the components of the game and see me kind of showing off some of the things, saying a few things I might have missed. So yeah, just a little plug. If you're enjoying the podcast content, go check out uh, all of Colin's amazing playthroughs on his YouTube channel and also check out my new review series. Yeah, it's hilarious. I've only seen one so far. I haven't seen the other two, but it was really good. Well done, Mike. Thanks, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. All right, well, thanks for joining us on another episode of Co-OpCast. Good gaming, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Co-OpCast, your one-stop for cooperative game news and reviews. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please review us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out Mindless Fate. They provide our bumper music. Also, check out Colin on his YouTube channel, One Stop Co-Op Shop, and follow us on Facebook at One Stop Co-OpCast. Finally, join our Slack group by emailing us at MVP Board Games for continued discussion on these topics throughout the week. 
Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Now we're going to be perfect, Peter. Perfect. Uh, that's how we do things. That's right. We do them perfectly. We don't even say uh in the podcast. All we say is the truth. <laughs> For no reason. Are you trying to make it, this an outtake? Is that what's going on? Yeah, man. We got to be entertaining. People, The people got to get what they want, baby. All right, do, do, do your little, uh, hi, I'm Peter. I'm here with Mike. That was pretty and good I'm impression, wasn't it? Mike, and I'm here with Peter. <laughs> That was terrible, man. That didn't sound anything like me. I'm Mike, and I'm here with (laughs) Peter. (laughs) Yeah, that was better. That was better. And also, I just like that I'm not only being rewarded for defeating heroes. I gotta re-say that. (laughs) You're killing Hulk because you turned evil. Hey, hey. Hey, Peter. Hey, what? I don't know. I I didn't prepare anything. (laughs) Hey, Mike. Yeah? If I'm super, does that make me super bad? Ooh. Yes.